0: You are listening to Salty Believer Unscripted. This is Salty Believer Unscripted. I'm Josiah Walker. I am Brian Katherman. And today I want to talk about something kind of unique. Um, in a previous podcast, we talked a little bit about preaching and kind yeah. of where do
1: you start. The one I, like got excited about all preaching yeah. things and barfed all over the podcast. <laughs> like, 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 look at all this cool word stuff. Word vomit about preaching. And then after we... We, were... should, co- we should come back to that and actually like, just say, let's, just, let's <laughs> just handle one question at a time. And not get crazy excited. I just was like, you asked a question, I wasn't really well prepared, and my right. excitement got the better of me. Anyway, so so this podcast. So then today,
0: podcast. coming out of that, I was really, I don't know, just impressed. It was interesting. This Sunday at our church, you preached on the silent years, the 435 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah. And I want to just kind of talk about that, because I've never seen anybody preach a blank page of scripture before.
1: Okay, we can do that, but let, <laughs> so. let's put it in some context. So at the time of this recording, I did that for the sermon prior to our Eve of Eve, or basically a Christmas, we're heading into Christmas, yeah. Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas, all that kind of stuff. So we did it on the 18th, so I that's mean, the context. I mean, your theme is that,
0: is dwelt among us.
1: Yeah, and it fits with the context of this whole series for Christmas, that yeah, God's dwelt among us. We looked all the way back to Genesis 315 and and the fall and the blessing of the Savior all the way through like we looked at a bunch of prophetic things we looked at how the temple and the God tabernacling with his people and even now we'll see Jesus the word becoming flesh tabernacling right. with his people we talked about all that so it's in that framework so I think it wasn't just like I had this wild hair to preach on <laughs> the silent years uh, the silent years are a period between the last prophet Malachi and the end of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, which was one book originally. Protestants see that as two, which is fine. And Esther, right. probably Esther. And I went with 435, but it's somewhere between probably 435 and 400 years. I just went with the the more the yeah. that was done earlier. Uh, but yeah, there's this period of silence. The only other major period that I'm aware of where it seems as if God really wasn't speaking in the Bible is the period when the uh, Jewish people were in bondage to um, the Egyptians before the Exodus and they were crying out in prayer sure. and crying out in prayer. But at that point, we didn't have a lot of thus saith the Lord, prophets and things. But so this is the period in the silent years and the reason we decided to put that in the series was because of all of the providence Of what God was doing in preparation for the Son of God becoming flesh before Christmas. Um, And not just a providence, but also it's like a giant pregnant pause. Right. It's like a big moment, right?
0: I I don't know how many people really stop and think about the fact that there's a huge gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament.
1: Represented by, like, (laughs) if your Bible prints it a page. Right. And in our pew Bibles, I noticed there's actually a a full single blank page. Right. But in my, the Bible I have here in my hand... Sometimes it's like half
0: a page. It's not even,
1: so on the one side it says the New Testament, and when I flip it over, it's blank. Yeah. But in some Bibles, it might say the New Testament on one side, you flip it over, and it's Matthew on that side. Or whatever. So, I mean, if you have a phone app, you can't even get to this page... And that page represents these years. So, So, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to ask, like, is it heretical to kind of get up and and preach on this? Because, I mean, what was your
1: text? Like, how do you... Well, so that was the real challenge with this. I didn't... I don't preach very often. I don't preach topically. And even when I preach topically, I say, here's the question we're going to discuss. Here are the scriptures. The preacher's authority comes from the word of God. Not you're a preacher, you have authority, say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But what you say that's authoritative is when you say what God said, right. and then you expound on it, expository preaching. You're expounding on it like we see throughout Scripture when they're preaching. I'm going to hear Scripture, I'm going to expound on it, this is how uh, we bring that meaning into our time. We don't have to change the text, we don't have to change the meaning, we just have to understand how it applies. And so when you're, when you're preaching... Uh, expository, an expository sermon. Uh, I've heard it said Mark Dever defines an expository sermon or an exegetical sermon. I think an expository sermon, is how he says, it, is the the point of the sermon is the point. I mean, right. the point of the text is the point of the sermon, and that is that is true. But there's more to this than that because in Spurgeon's day, Spurgeon would preach the point of the text. And he was faithful to hug the Bible, but other people, you know, this is the back in the day, and Martin Lloyd-Jones did this early in his preaching and many other preachers, they select a text, a scripture, right. and then that's supposed to guide and direct all of that they're doing. But you do see this occasionally with Spurgeon, hardly ever, but you do see it. But back in that time period, someone would choose the text, and then they didn't let the rest of the context of that text anchor the sermon. So uh, occasionally someone's having their final sermon and they choose some text that they can kind of spin it in eight different directions because the point of the sermon is still the point of that text, but all their points to get to that could come from anywhere. Sure. Other places in the Bible or, more importantly, places outside the Bible. Right. right so, so John Barada says, no, no, no. If you're going to do an expository preaching, we're going to go beyond like Mark right. Dever's definition. The point of the sermon is the point of the text and the text shapes the sermon. The text makes all the points. So now I have a blank page.
0: You can still have a biblical sermon.
1: Right, and so, yeah, so the when you just selected a text, that the type of preaching is called biblical preaching. It doesn't right. mean it's, this is biblical and this is heretical or this right. is, but that's just how they define it. You took sure. one text, you weren't preaching five ways to make your marriage great. You're saying, okay, no, I have this text. Yeah. So here we go, and let's say you're going, let's say you're going chapter by chapter through your Bible and you hit right. that period. That page technically represents the period, but God didn't speak. Right. So now I had to ask myself this question: Was there meaning behind silence? Mm-hmm. Is is He conveying meaning? And and the illustration I used is: Ask any husband whose wife is giving him the silent treatment, and tell me there's not meaning there. Sure, he's trying to understand: What did I do wrong? What's going on? Like or the pregnant pause, or I used a, an illustration of comedians using right. timing. Right, sometimes that pause. Sometimes a long pause has power, right? Yeah. So God not speaking communicates something. Here's the danger, in it, and this is what I was really nervous about in preaching, is how do I understand what the meaning is when he hasn't been explicitly clear? Mm-hmm. So what I did not do in my sermon, and I even indicated, I'm not going to assume, or I'm not even gonna speculate at the meaning, but all I am gonna do is I'm gonna look at the providence of what was happening. Yeah. Now. My biblical support for looking at the providence of what was happening was the book of Esther. The book of Esther, God's not mentioned. God's not clearly indicating. There's not some interpretation, oh, this was to indicate that God meant this or that. It's all just a book of, and it just so happened that this happened. And it just so happened that Mordecai... You know, alerted the guards, and it just so happened that that's the page that the king was reading. It just so happened, and it just so happened. and, And then you get to this, maybe you were raised as a queen for just as such a time as this. Right. And you have to say, what is all of God's behavior, his providential hand, communicating and doing? Right. And so I think the lesson of the book is God is sovereign. Right. God's got it all worked out. God's putting the pieces together. And so in God doing all these things, we see that God is faithful, even though he's never mentioned. So that right. was kind of a model I took from, I have a blank page, what's yes. the context? Right. What's the history and what's the background behind this blank page? Just like I would do with any other text. Right. Who was it speaking to? What was going on in the time period? This was a real time. Right. What was happening in history? Who was the audience? So the audience, the original hearers were the people who weren't hearing. Right. Right? Who was the speaker? Well, the speaker was the one who wasn't speaking. Yeah. What's the history? Oh, here's all the history of what was going on. Can I see how God was working? And so I used that. The, first, I proved that he was silent. Right. Went to some other non-biblical texts to say these people of the day understood there wasn't a prophet in line. I went right. to the Maccabees. Right. Went to a couple other literatures that said, hey, we have, there's been no prophet in the land. I did go to Hebrews one hey long ago, this is yep. how, but I proved that this, I made an effort to prove that God was in fact silent yes and then I looked at the history of what was happening and you look at the unification of the language right and what was happening in, in the Greek language. you look at the translation of the Septuagint that then broadens out the reach of the Old Testament scriptures and makes them more accessible to people. You look at the Roman conquest of building two fifty thousand roadway systems. Yeah and protecting them and what you see is okay the the language is being unified to make it easier for the gospel to go out the good news that jesus is on the scene yeah and jesus died for our sins we could have life in his name um the greek language made it easier yep. for thing um communication communication yeah. all that and, yeah. and we talked about the dead sea scrolls right which in the silent years were preserved in the library which ironically we didn't see that come out until 1947. Christ. so god was sovereignly saying there's going to come a day when people are questioning the the historicity of the text, if God's actually superintended his manuscripts, the copying of the text, and lo and behold, He was making an investment that comes out, you know, yeah. nineteen, twenty centuries later. Yeah. I mean, thir- you know, twenty-one centuries later. To where now we have that evidence. So God was working and doing things for the sake of the gospel, even though he wasn't speaking through a prophet, thus saith the
0: Lord. Even though he wasn't speaking, he was really active. It's interesting because you talk about maybe having a blank page in your Bible. And I was sitting next to my wife who had her uh, study Bible with her. And so there were four or five pages of just intertestamental period notes that she was reading and I'm watching her. She's listening to you and looking at her notes and... (laughs) Trying I to take on in everything that really occurred during that time.
1: It's helpful for us to really grasp how that becomes so significant when suddenly John the Baptist comes out like one crying in the wilderness, which was, yeah. which was prophetic from the Old Testament, as a prophet. They're waiting for the Elijah to come, which Jesus says he was the Elijah to come. And, but you have all that time when there's nothing, and then somebody's speaking with authority. Right. And then Jesus is showing up with authority. They're talking about like these people. It's like as if God's speaking. Then the apostles going, I mean, that really set the stage. Yeah. And so then that what's also fascinating, which I mentioned in the sermon towards the end, is, okay, now, because, okay, all that's just fascinating and interesting, but what does it mean and what do we do with it? The point I took from that is God is working even when we think he's silent. Sure. God is sovereign. Yeah. God, You know, that, those are big points. And then I looked at what they were doing in those silent periods, such as, they were still holding on to the scripture we had. It wasn't that we didn't have a witness of God in that time period. We had right. the whole Old Testament. Right. Okay, what were they doing? How did the Magi know? How did they investigate where the child was to be born? What were the promises they held on to? So there's some application we could take from the, the people of the day. They held on to what was said. We don't have prophets saying, thus saith the Lord today. Right. We have the perfect prophet who's never going to die, Jesus Christ. Exactly. But we have his word, and we can hold on to it. So we, I was taking that kind of application... But I was also looking at it as saying, man, what does it mean then, when you move forward past the pause, suddenly angels are speaking for God. They're showing up to Mary, Zechariah, there's Joseph in a dream, they're showing up to all the shepherds. And if you've had that much silence, ba da And then you have John the Baptist coming out of the woodwork proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, basically, behold the Lamb of God takes away. So we don't think about it, because you read the last page, you flip a page and you just keep going. Exactly.
0: And even though that page was kind of your jumping off point, like you did a really good job at at covering a lot of Scripture kind of in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I
1: did something by design because expositional preaching, I believe, you follow the best you can, the format, the layout, the structure, the tone, the tenor, the temperature of the text that you're dealing with. So I'm dealing with a silent text. Right. Okay? I'm dealing with no text, technically. A period of time when God withheld speaking. So what I intentionally did was I didn't bring any scriptures into it until I got to the end of the application. Mm. And I I wanted by design that people go, where is the scripture? Where is the text? Right. Where is the authority of the one speaking right. God? Exactly. Why are we not? Because normally I, start, I read the scripture before I even start preaching. So I right. wanted, whether they recognize it or not, I wanted people to feel that because I think that was the purpose behind that silent period. Sure. I wanted people to feel the same thing on a very micro level that probably the original hearers or lack thereof were feeling. And so that was by design. And then when I got to the end, I'm like, now we're going to bring a ton of Scripture because we need to bring that back in.
0: Which that feels really uh, trepidatious. Like, I I feel like you're on some dangerous ground to say that you're not going to really start with Scripture. I I feel like it'd be pretty easy for someone to get off in the weeds.
1: So I brought that up in the introduction. You know, so... (laughs) If you, I said, open your Bible. If yeah. you're using the Pew Bible, turn to page 852 or whatever it was. Uh, go to Malachi 4.6, and then yeah. just go a little further. But if you've gone to Matthew one, you you've gone too far. And then I sat there for about 30 seconds in silence. Yeah. Just And everyone's looking at me like, what are we supposed to be doing? And I just let it hang there until it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. And then we prayed. Let's pray. Well, normally that's where I'd be reading Scripture. Sure. So then when I came back to the introduction, I said, you know, I am on, I'm on some slippery ground here, some dangerous yep. ground. You have to be very cautious. And I would not make a practice of yeah. I don't make a practice of topical preaching. Not that topical preaching is bad. Right. But I don't make a practice of it because I can manipulate that more. I could have manipulated this a lot right. of directions. I mean, but, but I only I'm, did it once in this year.
0: You mentioned mm-hmm. talking about the Maccabees and I mean that's not part of the canon. And so
1: Which it's was it's not something you
0: normally would quote No, <laughs> in the
1: pulpit. No, and I did say this is not breathed out by God. Here's right. why but, here, but this does show us that they believe there was not a prophet in the land. It was really funny, though. We have, we have the uh, Ukrainian ministry that's been going here a little bit recently. It's really exciting. And uh, uh, a young lady who translated the sermon so that others could hear it in the earpiece. Mm-hmm. And she had it ahead of time, and she sent me a text. She said, I don't have this in my Bible. What are you doing? What is this? <laughs> I'm like, it's not Scripture. It's the Apocrypha. She's in, she was in seminary before the war. Sure. Uh, before, so she knew that she's like okay, but she didn't know it by that name. Oh, okay. And there was some translation stuff, and she's like, right. "I'm not sure what this is." Yeah. Uh, just because of language issues, and I'm like, yeah. "Trust me." She's like, "Okay, I feel better now." Because she was kind of sure. calling me, like, "What yeah. are you doing? What's going on?" It's like, it's <laughs> "Why are we easy translating the
0: Maccabees like, <laughs> and heresy or something?" So, all that being said, like, I, I've never seen anybody kind of do this before, take this approach. Would you do something like this again?
1: I'm not sure where else that approach might be, because everywhere else that I'm preaching, we have Scripture. Right. And even if we go, f- if we go forward in time to a point, you know, 3rd century, 4th century, yeah. we still have Scripture. So I was going off what is between those two periods in the Testaments, whereas I wouldn't necessarily think I need to go past Revelation, right. because actually Revelation is the end. And just as one's the beginning. I would have Scriptural authority... So really what I was doing here was saying I have I have the intentional silence by which it's conveying meaning. So I think I'd only do it again if I was going to if I was asked to to preach this silent years page again. Sure. I can't think of another place right. in the Bible. But would you preach that page again? Maybe. I think it was helpful. I had a few people go, I didn't realize that God was doing all that. Right. I didn't realize if God would do all that work so that people could share the gospel in, in a unified, common language. Yeah. I didn't realize he was creating roads. that Some of those roads we still walk on today. Right. The ro- you know, I didn't realize that God was preparing such a work that the gospel would go yeah. out. I didn't realize that he was starting to reunify what happened at the Tower of Babel. And then you see that in Acts chapter 2 and God is superintending his word and his message and asking the people to go. And numerous people came to me and said that was so helpful in just thinking about God doing things, but also so helpful in thinking about how significant evangelism is. God must be doing that for me. Before yeah. I go talk to my neighbors. For sure. God must be doing a work. God must yeah. be making a way. It's probably this way into countries that haven't heard the gospel yet and peoples. Yeah. And, and so it was helpful for people to think, okay, God does work. Right. right. So I think I would do it again. Um, it made me nervous because I didn't have the scripture that I am so comfortable standing on yeah. and expounding on. I'm expounding on God. I'm, it's like trying to, It's okay, I'm a husband. I have a wife. My wife suddenly giving me the silent treatment, cold shoulder. I'm over there going, what did I do wrong? Uh, What's wrong? What's got a problem? I don't know why. So I really was like, am I positive I know why God did this? Well, I don't know exactly why, but I can see what the results were. So I kind of hung on that. And I think if anybody were to do this, I would highly caution, don't assign meaning if you're not positive. The only meaning I felt really, really positive about assigning was God was working while he was silent. Right. And then I could also assign some let's learn the lessons of the people by holding on to the text that they already had. I, I wasn't about to say, well, God was silent for this reason. Right. Because while I have a lot of speculation and guesses, I don't know with certainty. Just like I don't know sometimes when my wife gives me the silent treatment, what I did wrong. Yeah. So I just I, I would advise if anybody were to do this or if I were ever to do it again, I would. that's a really important piece. Yeah. Because I don't want to speak for God and say something that's not hundred percent. I mean, that's a problem. Now we do that preaching, but if I know I'm doing it, I'm going to change it. Right. Right, I'm not going to... But that but I, that was a big piece of it for me.
0: Well, and that was such a, a powerful point, too, is that God is still working when he's silent. You know, God does still work in our lives when we don't hear it. I think when we live in this world where all the information we could possibly desire is at our fingertips, accessible within yeah. seconds, yeah. it's hard when we ask God something and don't always hear the response right away. You know,
1: Well, so the other piece of this, too, was... I. I made a few things clear working through it. This is not our blank page to write a story on. Right. This is not our blank page to assign meaning. It's yeah. God not speaking for a purpose of conveying something. Mm-hmm. And what's he conveying? And then in an expositional preaching, that's what you're pre the point of the the point of what God is doing and saying is the point of the message, right? The point of what he's saying is what you say. And if he's not saying anything the most technical way I could do that is to not preach at all, right. except how do you bring that into application? Yeah. Okay. How do you bring that into a helpful, profitable thing for the church to feast on? Now I think bringing back into the scripture, you know, Psalm 1-2, meditating on the word and, and encouraging one another from Hebrews and going to some of those places to bring application, I think if I didn't do that, that would have been yeah. a terrible way to preach. With, None of God's Word.
0: Yeah, I don't know as a, as a new preacher or maybe a kind of a rookie or a greenhorn, I'd I necessarily go to that and include that yeah. in my sermon series. Yeah. But I think there is something to be said for really, throughout all Scripture, no matter what text you're preaching, really spending some time talking through the time frame. Because as we do just go from book to book or page to page, it's, it's hard to realize, hey, some of these events took...
1: Time. at least took time and, and so the other thing too we have the benefit of we're on the other side of the silent years right i don't know how you'd preach in the middle of the silent years oh. right because you wouldn't have the rest that i stood on like we right. could now see what we can look back into that and see how that played out that gives me a little more assurance you know yeah. whereas if i'm in the silent years going well this must be this and this must be that hold on a second we don't know the other thing too uh that i would probably highly encourage is this would help you, like if you were to do this, it, help, it really forced me to think about the value of those original audience. Sometimes the original audience aren't the same people right. as who the story's about. Sure. Okay, the original audience of Genesis were not Adam and Eve's kids. Right. I mean, super, super grandkids, you know, great, great, great grandkids. The original audience of the story of Genesis was when Moses provided that in the Exodus sure. from God. Sure. So then how did they hear it? Oh, those people were sinful, we're okay. sinful. Oh, that happened. Oh, like
0: Which that you don't changes about,
1: the thoughts a lot, right?
0: necessarily unless you go, go to the seminary or you've done some study is that Moses wrote that.
1: You might think right. Adam wrote that. That's Genesis. where study by bi- yes, yeah, study Bibles are really helpful. Yeah. And you can read some of that. But then just thinking, like there's a few things you you read in there. I wonder how these people who are being led by God who've now sinned and had an idol, and done this and done yeah. that, read and hear the story of Adam and Eve, when right. I mean, we can be like God, and we can be like, ooh, sting, <laughs> burn, right? Like, but that's helpful to think about. I didn't, I mean, it was really, really, that's all I had to go on Yeah. in the silent years. So that was like, oh, that's a really helpful way to think through preaching. And and what's there, and how does that speak to us today? What's these timeless principles of these silent years, and what do we do with that? So I hope, I really, really do hope that it was profitable for the church to hear. Uh, It's available on YouTube if anybody's listening and wants to see how I handled that. It was December 18th. It's called, uh, and God was still working, or God was, although... While even though he's silent, still yeah. working, or silent but working, or something. Silent like but that. working. Silent but still working, yeah. So you can go to redeeminglifeofutah.org, go to the sermons, go to the archive, because it was in the Christmas series, and by the time they hear this, that'll be passed. And uh, and just find that December 18th, 2022 sermon. And you can see the silent use. Also, the other thing we did, just I know we're out of time, but where we normally write the text of this, the yeah. sermon. At one point, Robbie when he was making the slides, making the U version stuff, like just collapsed the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm like, No, no, no. Put a gap there. So wherever the text was, there's just a gap. There's nothing there. And then when we had the slide for the reading yeah. where I normally read the scripture, yeah. there's scripture up on the screen. Grab your Bible, turn to whatever, let's read the scripture together before I start preaching. Yeah. When I was silent, we just had the blank from the scripture reading <laughs> with no scripture. Like we wanted That's to awesome. make it really prevalent. Like right. yeah. but you can find it, you can kind of see how that yeah how that played out. I hope it worked well. I mean, I guess I'll know when I stand before God and he goes, what were you doing with that one?
0: I think it was definitely profitable for the church and it was definitely a unique approach. So if you're a preacher, it might be worth looking at just thinking about, um, Hopefully this has been a great reminder as a, as a pastor or a preacher to be faithful to God's word. And if you're not, hopefully this was a great reminder as a, as a Christian to really examine God's word and, and really think through that and maybe pick up a study Bible and examine it closer and study it more. So,
1: Hey, if, you, if you've heard a sermon done on the silent years in this way, I'd love to hear from you. Like, reach yeah. out to us, saltybeliever.com. There's a communication form in there. I'd love to just see what other people have done to do this.
0: Of course. Share your thoughts with us. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Find more information at saltybeliever.com.